the invisible world that our plants rely upon and that our soil relies upon is often something that gets overlooked. And we're going to talk about that today because, you know, did you know that for plants, the fungi that matter most are actually invisible? But what about using a regular light microscope to check the fungi? Matt, I, I'm trained. I have the microscope. I, I, is it like this? Like that? That's, you know, awesome for compost and soil when we're talking about decomposition. That's saprophytic fungi. And that's good for the context. But that's not, that's not the, that, that doesn't partner with fun. I mean, there is a small group that partners, but unless you have like turkey tail ground up or other things, that's not actually going to partner with your plants at all. Plants rely primarily upon arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi, AMF. You may have heard about this. Arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi, AMF, it, you know, it, it, it partners with the roots and it, it, it's really ephemeral. It comes in days and weeks and then goes and leaves these little spores. And, it, and, it's, it, and it's symbiotic. So it relies upon the roots and this relationship. And so it's releasing those spores and then reconnecting with that same root right there, right then. So it's really important to understand that that is, it, they're bound to this context. They partner with over 90% of plants. And, and it's actually the case that they are not visible. So all of this that we're seeing here is usually not visible. So it's responsible for a third to a half of global carbon sequestration, mycorrhizal fungi as a whole. But you can't see it with the regular microscope. But before I get any further, who am I? I'm Matt Powers. Uh, this is a picture done by one of my seniors, my last year of teaching public high school. I was a high school teacher, started writing books on permaculture, then eventually soil. And it all started, you know, when I was a musician, I was very happily a musician. And I was, I was a touring and uh, mostly a live musician. I did some studio work, but I had just a lot of fun. Got to play with some amazing people, met my wife. We got married, but shortly after our first child was born, right after his, his first year, uh, first birthday, she um, got cancer and she wanted to recover with her mom after she got cancer again from the radiation that they were using to treat the first cancer. And it was such a terrible series of events. I mean, to, not just to lose your thyroid, which is your energy and your metabolism in your early 20s, but to then have melanoma almost reach your lymph nodes and have them operate, remove, you know, it just, it all happened within months and the radiation obviously caused it. They, not all doctors do that anymore. Some places still, but it's known that it can cause this now. And... So I just was like, all right, I'll leave. You know, I, I quit that job. We both prayed about it. And um, she prayed first, obviously, and said, this is what I want to do. I didn't like the answer to the prayer, but it was the right thing to do. Um, <laughs> I got the same answer. Didn't like it, but followed the prompting. And it was the gr greatest de decision because I changed. I was a musician and I became a teacher. Uh, and it was in that transition that we had our other son. He's right there. Doo -doo, doo -doo. This is a, uh, we also, our boys grew up in the garden. The, the younger boy is in the, the stroller in the background there. Um, <clears throat> always in the context of growing food and working with animals, doing permaculture, working with soil. But the cancer kept coming back. And so we started doing Gerson therapy, more organic and if you've ever done the Gerson therapy and you're doing like all that, all the juicing and the cleaning and the juicing and the cleaning, it wears on you. And I was wearing myself out doing it for my wife. And she eventually was like, you know what? I think the stress of you trying to 
keep up with everything is too much for me. And we stopped doing that, but it was a lot, it was a lot of work, but it stopped, you know, the initial cancers from coming back. We, we think, and it would, it started this progression of dieting and trying different things and changing it up and doing what works in the moment. Um, as we've faced, you know, multiple health challenges, both of us now over the years, I became a teacher in this process though, cause we needed healthcare. So she, she needed, she needed medicine. We had young children. Uh, we obviously had, you know, our other, our other son. Um, and I, I needed to be a provider. And so I became the local English teacher. And I started mixing in permaculture very quickly. <laughs> and um, my boys grew up doing permaculture. They grew up living it. We, we, we saved seeds. We grew the seeds we saved. I fell in love with it deeper and deeper. We got a little extreme. Um, and this is, this is a, I, I always show the picture that's after this, but I rarely show the before. And I found this and I want to show it. Uh, it's just funny, you know, as you change over the years and you new computer and then you do the my photos and they don't connect and you maybe it's on a hard drive, you lose those older photos. It's it's very different from having an album in the living room, right? So I found this photo. This, if you look in the, the center there of the photo, that long flat like trough, that's flat. That's a swale that captures water. It's on contour. At the end of it, I will be standing, okay? At the end of that swale, I'll be standing, right? A boom. That's what it turned into. I threw those seeds on the ground, and I planted trees in the midst of that crazy cover crop. It's a hyper-diverse cover crop. It's how I figured out what I like to do for cover cropping so that I get something out of it. But we also created a bunch of biomass, and we create a regenerative soil environment. Now, a huge part of that environment is multiple canopies created, right? Uh, and so you can see how high those the, the, the those corn reach into the air there. And so in this process, I became an author, an educator, an entrepreneur, a soil expert, a seed farmer, and a family guy. And my boys grew up uh, doing the work, living the life alongside me and, uh, seeing me experiment, seeing me figure things out. And, um, and also, you know, they, they, they still, you know, work with me and even they're so big now. Right. <laughs> I have been this whole time focused on this simple idea that we can have a bridge just like our high school and college was supposed to be an educational bridge to an economy where those skills that you learn in that process actually have value because they're relevant to the real world and to what people actually care about and want. If you look at modern education, then it, it people are very upset about what's happened, right? And so, this would this is something I've been working on consciously for over 10 years and trying to figure out how to help these kids get and and now and it became adults too, how to get them access to pathways that would improve their lives, that would make it so that they could provide ethically, for their community and for themselves in a way that you don't run out of the soil. It's not like we killed the Midwest with cotton, right? And then the dust bowl hit, then the banks of blah, 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 grapes of wrath. No, we, we instead strengthen our position. And so that person that's been gardening, you know, market gardening in that, that area every year gets better and people become loyal because they want to be part of that journey. And it's part of the story of the community and the town and the place now. That's, that's, a, that's what I'm talking about. And, and it's not just market gardening. It's all the value-added products associated with it. It's all how we handle products. I mean, 
in the 80s and in the 90s, if you were around and went, you know, and visited your brother on his, you know, year abroad in Europe, I never did it, but he did. And they all used the same glass. This is not complicated. They reused. They didn't even smash glass and use it over. There's a common sense that is literally makes the world a better place. And today we're going to touch upon some of it and you're going to be pretty surprised. Okay. But that's the thing. There is a regenerative future and, and, and people want to like cast fears all about, you know, be afraid that we miss this opportunity. Be afraid of that because it's in your hands. The, the information's out there. I've, I've really so many things. I've given away so many things for free. The, the people are doing it too. And so you have examples. You've got like amazing people doing it. They're William Petit Brown. I mean, come on. You know, people are living it. They're there. And this is an invitation to that. And you may take something out of this today where you're like, I, I, I mean, this inspired me about doing this whole other thing with uh, biofertilizers, you know, and I'm going to use my microscope to do this. He, he didn't even like touch upon that. Yeah, because the fundamentals that are at play here will change everything. May even be like, oh, I'm going to start using this to screen this other product that we're having these issues with. And I think I now know why. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is, this is opening a door that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Okay, so thank you for being here. Let's dive in, all right? I'm a citizen scientist. That's what's come out of this whole process. And you can too. You can be a citizen scientist. It is the, the, the testing, if it's done simple and clearly and cleanly with really good testing metrics and methodologies and technology, it, you can do it. There's, there's, there's nothing separating you from that person in the lab coat. When you start reading the protocols for some things, you're going to be like, and that's it. Oh yeah, that's it. Because we don't want to screw it up. Right. That's right. I want to keep it as natural as possible. So you can do this. So what else is invisible is probably the question you were asking before I went on my little tangent there. And, and, and the reality is there's a bunch of things. So when we look at life, it is not clear which is actually alive and which is actually dead. You'll see specks and you'll see things and it may look like living fungi or living bacteria, but you don't know. So there are these stains and there's a whole world of these stains and they have these ranges of, of their glowing. You know, it's, uh, it's fluorescing, really. Think of these ranges. Now, if you can look with me down here, and you can see those in the center there, those little dots, like tiny, tiny dots, and some of them have a halo. Those are living bacteria that have absorbed the stain. Most stains are going to destroy everything. Uh, the standard protocol that you read in like the published works from like Elaine Ingham and Elaine Ingham's husband are to use molten agar and fluorescence diacetate FDA, which is expensive and you use a lot of it. And you, you got to keep it frozen and then thawed and make it into molten. So you're either microwaving it or using a Bunsen burner like we're back in the day. But this is a different method. And so this allows us to observe the actual behavior of the living bacteria and moving bacteria and fungi instead of locking it up in an agar and kind of freezing things in uh, a perspective of what was there. Because yeah, if it was alive and then you trapped it in molten agar, uh, there's a whole argument about... Uh, what we're doing in testing. So this right here, this, this is usually invisible, but with stains and the proper lighting, we're talking about the proper lighting here in a minute, because it might inspire you on another level as well. But being able to see who's alive and who's not, we're going to come back to this. But also, without any stain, 
This same lighting will show you the fungi, but also it will show you evidence of different other things. Like, so the colors are denote different things and we'll get more into that. But this, this is life inside the, the little hairs on the pumpkin ceiling. You know, they're, they're trichomes. That's what trichome means. It means a plant hair. And so we can see with this epifluorescence lighting that we're going to be talking about here in a second. And we can see it here. This isn't the standard UV lighting that they're like, oh, these things will fluoresce. N no, this is a bandwidth and then of light that's targeted into a focus 490 nanometer focused beam. And then what glows is phosphorus bearing and typically fungal indi indication, typically, we're gonna cover something in a second. And, and then they screen that at 510 nanometers, the cutoff filter cube, and you only get what's above that frequency of light. And so it's a specific glow. It's a specific instance. You may be like, man, I see glowing like this all the time. It means this. Not in this instance. And it's really important to understand wavelengths and excitation are specific to the epifluorescence in this instance. And this is all based upon something we're going to talk about. So decomposition as well can be can be observed in the fungal activity thereof. And then phosphorescent bearing crystals like this. And this is dead organic matter. This is dead pasture compacted soil that was over salt fertilizered for years. And it desiccated the organic matter. And we can see that's desiccated organic matter. There's no biology to speak of on it. And then you see these crystals, they're phosphorus. So there's a phosphorus buildup on the organic matter. And we can see this. But again, I just gave you all that context. You need the context to interpret things properly. And there's other tests that, I, that I'm, I'm not going to get into right now because it's a larger conversation that we'll get into a little bit later uh, in the series. But you need the context to actually interpret these things properly. But when you do, you get to this deeper layer. And it's it's tactical. It's strategic. It and and then you also can instantly see the fungi inside the roots. So this is our muscular mycorrhizal fungi establishing itself. You can see it working its way around the roots in between the, the in the inside of the cell uh, and and the cell wall. And um, if you look here carefully, you can see that there are cells that have hyphae all the way around them and are darkened somewhat brown. Let your eyes adjust a little bit to the image, right? Okay. And then you start seeing that there's outlining on other cell walls that are older. And then you start seeing this hyphae coming off them. And you're like, wait, is that a root hair? Is that, and then you realize it's attached to the hyphae that's wrapped around those roots. Those are fully matured and senesced fungal pathways and those likely are going to be all reabsorbed by the plant as they work through so these are flushes and then the past and the future and the present all happening all at once in the same space so you're going to see spores you're going to see the glowing activity which is the initial activity and then the root transforms to all glowing and you'll see we'll, we'll do another picture but this is in between a fully mature state where the spores have been released and an inoculation state where it's beginning over again. And this is a very partial inoculation. I'm going to show you a much fuller inoculation here in a second. All this is just scratching the surface. I, my book, my new book is it's, it's coming. It's on the way. Um, it, they finally finished printing it in bulk. Um, I haven't done a bulk print since before the lockdown. So it's way slower this time. Um, and I had to wait in line. Very different. 
Um, and so it's on its way, but it's all pictures. You know what I mean? There's recipes, there's writing, there's definition, there's clarification, but psh, you know, like two thirds of that stuff is like big pictures so that you see things and understand things because it changes everything once you see it. And instead of it being this static or arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi, now everyone in this, in this, in this, this event right now knows that arbuscular mycorrhizae has this cyclical relationship and expression in our roots that's constantly happening. You've seen the past and the future, and you're about to see the mid, the, the middle, mid range and the full inoculation too. So let's first though, take a step back and talk about the limitations of Brightfield, which is light microscopy that everyone kind of knows. This is what Elaine Ingham has taught. I learned the, you know, in her advanced intensive, this is what I learned from her. This is what primarily all mycologists are doing. I don't know anyone else. Dr. James White is doing light microscopy with different stains. I only know, I only know of like online publications from certain universities that have epifluorescence and it's all the problematic one that we'll talk about. <laughs> so, so let's talk about the limitations first of that because everyone's using it and everyone's thinking to rely upon it. And they're like, I found fungi. I'm like, that's irrelevant. Unfortunately, it's relevant for the context of composting and decomposition and breakdown but it's not relevant to you actually having a benefit that's provable and verifiable to your plant. There's no verifiable benefit from the saprophytic fungi in your compost. So it's important to recognize that. Um, can, can Brian, can you let Angel in? <laughs> I want Angel again. Yeah, Angel's here. Hi, Angel. Um, Central Texas mycology, shout out. So some bacteria we cannot see. That's an unfortunate reality. Do you guys see that? Some viruses you can see, gyruses, giant viruses. It's literally what they're called. Uh, and then some bacteria you can't see. So you'll be like trying to count and you'll be like at a like, a thousand X and you'll be like, and you'll be like teasing you at the limit of your, of your ability to look. And you're like, am I doing this right? Am I going crazy? How do I do that? You know, and the sharper your resolution gets, the more you'll see things teasing. Dang. Right. So you go up 4k and you see more things teasing. So the lower quality your camera, the lower quality, your microscope, the less bacteria you're literally going to see, the less teasing of that beyond your vision you'll see. So it'll feel more reinforcing that you've got it. You saw them all. So that's kind of a trick. There's a bunch of things that are stumbling blocks in the way of modern soil microscopy that I've had to work through and fix. So that's, that's why I, I felt this great need to create this book. So, uh, you know, there's a huge overlap, you know, between a lot of things, but with bacteria, we cannot definitively ID the species. And, in, and same thing with, you know, fungi, but, but with bacteria, it's like really severe. Okay, we can identify by its morphology to know its type and its role, but you can't know who it is. But DNA can be different between morphological identicals. So they can look exactly the same, but be DNA completely different. And you're like, oh dear, right? But morphological expression is a reaction to the environment. So it's telling you about the environment. The environment stressors are so strong. Organisms that are different in terms of DNA are morphologically looking identical in order to deal with the stressors of the environment. Kind of flips things, right? So the shape, the way they're behaving in relation to each other 
This can tell you a lot. It can tell you when things are going the wrong direction. But at the same time, when we start looking deeper, we realize that the overlap is very great. So you need to be very precise. You need to be careful about your assumptions. And that's why we need to go beyond Brightfield, okay? We need to use additional microscopy methods. Epifluorescence, mentioned it earlier. I mentioned it probably before to you. This allows us to see the fungi in the roots. So this is a root propagule. This is a, a fragment of a root. And this is what you want to see. Because if it's a spore, you you don't know if it's if it's actually going to be going to be releasing its potential anytime soon. It's a spore. It's going to wait until the conditions are right. So your root could grow past that, mature, plant, be ready to harvest when that sporulation begins. And it doesn't even matter that it was there. That's why people do propagules. And that's why people are checking and verifying that their roots are actually being inoculated. So what really is it, right? What is um, the, the epifluorescence? So it, it's this module right here. And it's, it's this light that looks greenish. Um, it's a greenish haze, essentially. But there's this neon glow that indicates phosphorus-bearing compounds and, and usually fungi. So it's important to recognize that it is simply a filter cube and a LED light. And it's a light that's focused and, and, and it has a tight bell curve on 490 nanometers, cyan blue. And then it's the filter cube cuts it off at 510 nanometers wavelength. And so only allows at 510 and above. So what we see is a filtered experience, but eyes in this bio, in this environment, this bioregion of the soil are, can be adapted to this. So it's just this little module. It's this little sandwich section, this little hamburger section of my microscope, but it is a miraculous device. Before this, you would have had mercury halide, mercury vapor lamps that only would work 2000 hours. And at the end of the lifespan would explode, contaminating the entire workspace and specimens and you. And so this is a breakthrough for home usage and safety that's never been available before. LW Scientific has been focused on making technologies that are available and affordable to the third world and to citizen scientists and common people. At the same time, they're FDA-grade approved lab microscopes. And so they're the highest grade, you know, they're, they're, they're fully certified. And it, it's just that simple technology. And I just set all the pieces. And if you're like an optics guy, you're like, I think I could figure that out. You probably could. All right. So we get to see the actual fungal activity and behavior. We get to see the progress. We can quickly determine whether things are at 50% or below, which is a key metric. And we all can tell, tell half, right? So we can see that the fungi is working its way around the cells. We can see it working its way across the cells and creating that veil. The arbuscular shape of the mycorrhizal fungi uh, people have uh, have revealed that it's a chemical moment that is literally gone and the thing dissolves. And so they're nubs. They're nubs of a, of a veil, of a gauze, of hyphal, um, hyphae that spreads just like it spreads in the soil in finer and finer nets. So one of the things I want to talk about in color-wise, someone on Facebook asked, why would you use epifluorescence on, on, on a microbe? Because, you know, that could be algae because it looks like algae that they're talking about and looking at. And, and being able to quickly look 
at what you're you're seeing and see if there's photosynthetic compounds um uh in the works chlorophyll um it, you can see that instantly so you can tell algae you can see photosynthesizing cells and plants very easily uh that red right there in the background that would be the chlorophyll uh, and then the really bright neon green, that's uh, fungi, right? So there's a bunch there's a bunch of instances where everything changes when we start aligning things. The chaos on the right of bright field, um, when paired with epifluorescence and we layer it, allows us to suddenly see size and color differentiation. And you're like, oh, that's right. I mix these spores. That's right. This is a tincture of reishi and lion's mane. And so you can see the difference in color and size and pick them out and count them. And do you guys see how we have so many applications for partnering and working with this technology and viability stain testing again. Uh, look right there. You can see so cleanly, so clearly. Do you guys see the pairs? Do you guys see the shapes at the bottom? There's a little triad there. This viability stain testing didn't require any freezing, didn't require any molten agar. It was one ml of one to 10 dilution to see the behavior on the organic matter, or I do it to the counting on a hemocytometer. And this could have, this is definitely not on the human. Well, it could have been on the side, but this is, this is probably 110 then, but you guys can see the behavior. I, I got to put this in a one ML and then put two to four drops of the diluted stain. So in terms of usage, in terms of waste, in terms of like, danger for your for you and the harm reduction and all those kinds of things when it comes to staining this is a completely faster easier safer more effective and more authentic and real than anything i've been able to find and it's because this is out of range technically for looking through the 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 eyepieces but you guys know i don't look through eyepieces because i don't want to screw up my eyes um, they've already proven that eyepieces are terrible for your sight and they, 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 they hurt your, your vision. So, so I didn't bother with that. I instead changed the brightness on this end <laughs> so I could see things that were really, really shiny and bright and blinding. And, and they were suddenly we were in range and you also notice down at the bottom, there's some red. So. So yeah, it's really, really important to understand that we've if we don't look, we don't see it right here. When we're looking at this potworm right here, you you can sort of see that there's something going on, um, but once you see it in all in the epifluorescence, it becomes absolutely clear that those hairs are all along the sides. They're in a specific pattern, and in the literature, there's no other images or documentation of this. So we're seeing things that aren't being seen because no one's looking. And so you're like, what does this mean? Well, it's like, there's a lot of phosphorus in those. So it's probably hunting out the fungi and eating the highly fungal organic matter in this compost. And because it's digesting so much fungi, it's has a lot of phosphorus in its diet and it's coming out as highlights, neon highlights it, 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 all, all along its back. But again, you know, these things are, are, are new. And so you're like, okay, all right, all right. That sounds novel, novel. Uh, why is this valuable though? Remember that 50% thing I said? We can see the fungal activity and the clear fungi, the mycorrhizal fungi, which is the most important fungi for plants. We can see it. Not only that, you just take the root, you put it on a glass slide, put it under, and you just pull this little knob right here, and that's it. That's it. Like literally, like that's it. There's no stain, there's no water, there's nothing. 
And that's important actually, because that means that we're not screwing around. Yeah, yeah. They're playing games so much in the universities, making these artificial moments that look cool and chemically they get to keep all these chemical companies, you know, in, in, you know, in business, um, but are completely useless. The reality is we want to see roots as naturally as possible with the least disturbance as possible, as fresh as possible. So we put it on the slide, put it under there, pull that thing. And then we take pictures of it, the highest quality we can. And you can see half, right? You can see half of something. I can see half. We've all, since we were small children, we can see half of something, roughly. Some people may argue we're not as good at it as we should be, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't matter. You can do roughly half. This is so easy. Is our the bar our muscular mycorrhizal to half? It's 50 to 90 percent is what it should be. And typically it can go 90 to 100 percent very easily. So if it hasn't taken and you're like, well, it's like at less than half, inoculate again. Soil soak it in again. And anyone can do that. Take a root sample brush away the soil, take a root sample gently, um, like excavate it, you know, and gently take soil uh, to take out a clip a piece of root, cover it back up, and then look at that. And maybe you do one plant out of 100, one plant out of 50. But you're doing it every 50. And you're developing uh, a, a like a, a real close relationship with your roots because you're verifying whether you're actually making it work and then you're like oh man you know what i tried a new a new mycorrhizal inoculant and it's all propagules and the old one was all and now the problem's over everything is inoculated 80 90 percent um everything i look uh it's beautiful it's solid they're glowing the dark roots I think that's what we want. We want glow in the dark roots. And, and as a game changer, you can see it on top now. Um, this is what was going on. I needed to find the right mycorrhizal inoculant. And you can verify that with epifluorescence. Then I need to verify that I was doing it right and it was taking in the time frame of the growth cycle of that plant. And then you were able to verify it. And now... You have those solid benefits that you can rely upon with that crop and with that soil, with that amendment. But it takes looking to see. And it's so quick and easy. I mean, this is the quickest and the easiest. That's the wild thing about so much of what they're doing. I mean, my one of my earliest mentors, Elaine Ingham, her whole thing was her one of her main breakthroughs was like, why are we doing so much work? Let's just put the water and the soil together, shake it up and look at it. And that was radical. Okay. So they're all like, well, let us, you know, um, first do the uh, <laughs> gram negative, gram positive, you know, meaninglessness. So this is so quick and so easy. And it's so potently powerful and relates to your bottom line. Epifluorescence shows phosphorus glowing inside organic minerals, minerals and uh, and organisms. When there's a lockup, when there's a lockout, when there's something going on, you can track it. Epifluorescence makes viability stain testing faster and easier with less waste using drops of diluted stain in a uh, just one ml of of compost tea or. Or, or diluted compost or diluted soil, all of the above. So it's, it's a game changer. And you don't have to kill anything. Remember, mycorrhizal fungi increases phosphorus uptake by 10,000 times or more. So th there's evidence of that. And, and that's what we're looking for. So imagine an organism takes up 10,000 times the ambient levels of a given mineral, right? And that mineral has a color. Um, I once knew a baby, um, Bill, forgive me if you're in the audience, this is your baby. 
I once knew a baby who turned orange because he only ate sweet potato puree. He refused to eat anything else and they just like gave in. Martha was like, we're just going to go with it. And, you know, spores are no different. They're eating like like when when we talk about fungi, they are consuming what is outside of them. And so they're taking up the ambient pigments and embodying them. And so you see trends. You see that the where it becomes red, it, there's more iron oxidation, more it's more oxidized, more alkaline, and you can see it in the spores, which means that when you have these lab collections of things and they're all clear, that's why they're clear. They've been feeding them purified white purified elements of everything so this is like you have kefir grains uh jason maybe you're here in the audience watching jason gave me kefir grains once and they were clear and i was like what is going on he was feeding it clear sugar and i was always feeding mine like molasses and then like you know coconut sugar mine were brown golden brown and so i was like what is this you know what i mean and it's like that's what it is Kefir is, has lab in it, but it's also primarily yeast. And so when you have external digestion, the environment has a huge effect on what is there. And so, and, and, and also their relation to carbon. So this is all playing out in real time. All these things are having an effect. You'll see that the whole clear fungi is bad thing. You know, um, we fear the unknown, right? A lot of, there was a lot of people with unknowns attached to, in the soil science world, attached to clear hyphae. In the my, mycology world, they're like very familiar. Uh, mycology world is rugged in this sense. The microbiometer relies upon color, but again, we have to understand that colors correlate to certain minerals and nutrients. And so in this, in this case, it, it, to, to carbon, and this is this, in this case, to certain nutrients. And in, 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 when we develop these images, we develop these understandings. It, it has to do with the foods that are present. It has to do with the, the actual minerals that are present. And so there's a nuance and a subtlety there that must be mapped out with open minds and exploration. So manual lighting, this is another thing. So I was asking with epifluorescence, it's above lighting, you know, I don't need to smash, I don't need to drown it. And then I was like, why are we doing things linear? And why is it one kind of light? And I had this breakthrough. I called it light field at first, but I changed it to manual lighting. And this allows us to actually see what plant roots are like. Each cell is like a small greenhouse made of glass which makes sense because plants have been known and uh, to transmit light out through their roots. And if they're going to photosynthesize, they're going to capture light. So they need that. And when we see things as they are, we can understand them in fundamentally different ways. We can see the color differentiation around the meristem cells where there's an exchange to and from in and out. This is where rhizophagy happens. We can see the anchoring fungi. Is all this necessary? Well, it's the fastest and easiest way to test roots and it's most natural. It's most authentic. If we don't look, we don't know for sure. And if we don't get out of our own way and, 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 and try to make things as objective as possible, we'll be fooled. I mean, I think about about how much of science is non-replicable they talk about these days. And it's because people are tricking themselves and they're doing things in a way they never thought anyone other than their graduate school professor or doctorate like person would ever check on it. Only those people and then the journal would happen and they would get tenure and move on with their lives. And so you have a lot of that. And so we have to be the ones to look. We have to be the ones to verify. But 
the wonderful thing is we get to be the ones to verify. Okay, because if we want better soil, we have to become better citizen scientists because all the universities, you know, their studies, majority of them are based upon the university farms and extension centers, which are managed by graduate school students who've been farming like two semesters and are like looking at the opposite sex, thinking about other things, not science. So we have to realize like that's the context of so much of the science. And then you're like, oh, we've got Dr. Duke's phytochemical. Yeah, but it's the USDA conventional managed crops. So that's like uh, a perspective on a larger holistic picture. And it's a skewed perspective. So we have to embrace this. We have to understand that current tests and methods were once formalized experiments. We have to understand that real science is always in a process of developing new experiments for deeper insights. If we want better soil, we have to become the citizen scientists today. We can't follow an old formula. So how are we going to bring back the fungi if we can't see them? Have you guys thought about this? Everyone's talking about how we've killed the soil third of the soil is supposed to be fungi to half of the soil is supposed to be fungi. Just, you know what I mean? People are structurally just talking, uh, but, but we've killed it. We've tilled it. It's washed away. It's dead. We can't even see the relevant fungi to plants because people aren't even, this, this technology is brand new. So it's, and it's a miracle. This requires zero stains, no root prep, and no alterations. You can do more testing. It's fast. It's easy. It's the fastest and easiest. This is the freshest and most accurate state to capture as well. We want it now. We want it when it's, when it's there and ready. Meanwhile, the context of our world, when we think about fungi, we think about trees, we think about deforestation, this is just, you know, a generalized image, right? This is not like hyper accurate probably, but you get the idea. It was once all forest, then we chopped it all down and replanted it all, but they weren't inoculating anything at this point. So deforestation is rising exponentially and they're saying that now, and the backdrop of that is this. So a hundred years ago, we'd already like lost all the forests and the wilderness. And that's the point of the Sand County Almanac, you know, the father of American conservation. He, uh, in the forties had essays that were compiled at the end of his life about how we had lost all of it. So it, no one is, can escape the death of soil in America. We all have to regenerate our soil. And, uh, imagine the fact that all this deforestation is happening, all this replanting is happening, and none of it was mycorrhizally inoculated. None of these people have uh, uh, the epifluorescence. So all these forest fires happening and all this drought. And with drought, you, you're losing your carbon, you're losing your nitrogen, you're losing the food and the stability and the structure of your fungi. And if they're partnering with over 90% of all plants, the plants need it. So this is all killing fungi, all the terrible things that are happening. And this is the technology and the understanding that all the forestry services need to check on the soil, to check on the health of their trees and their plants. Just imagine that if we could see all the forestry folks out there being able to see all the actual relationships that matter, to be able to check on the plants, to be able to to sample that fungi and re-inoculate and to strengthen those plants because they know what fungi is supposed to be there. They've let the plants teach them, the fungi teach them. Rather than imposing, they get to see, they get to understand. So what if? What if every nursery did inoculate and verify that their work is working? I know they should, but what if they did? Just imagine that instead of phytophthora and umicytes and water molds and no, they got the opposite. Just imagine that. What if 
every naturalist, every forager, every taxonomist. Just imagine that. They've all been able to see the fungi. Maybe now we have pocket versions and folks are being able to verify that, oh, this is the good area. Let's forage here. This is the area to protect. What if you learned microscopy? As you can see, and if you've heard, it's, it's not as hard as you think. You get to see things as they are. You get to see the real deal. You get to know your work is working. Just imagine that. If you want to learn more, join us for the live Q&A that we're about to have and the giveaway and join us next week because this is just scratching the surface. This was the first one. Thank you for being here. We're going to have the books arrive during this webinar series. So I'm going to be able to show them off and we'll be able to give away. We'll be able to give away some and have some super fun. So it's going to get wild. We're going to give away thousands of dollars that we're going to give away courses too. So stay tuned, get excited and join us next time because this is just the beginning. This is just the, the start of breakthroughs in soil microscopy with me, Matt Powers. Grow abundantly, learn daily and live regeneratively. Thank you guys for joining us. I'm going to unmute you all um, and, and let you know that this was so much fun. You guys are my people. Uh, this was so much fun. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Matt. Oh, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Hey, man. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for me and my everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Everybody's having so much fun. Yeah, it was so much fun. Well, good to see everybody. You guys have a great. Thanks for to you, my Have a great weekend, everyone.